Now tell me if you remember No telling if you remember I'll never forget I'll never forget Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. I grabbed, I snatched, I commandeered this guest, popped up in my feed, went immediately to DMs and were like, you know what? I need to start 2020 with this conversation. So everybody, welcome Nandini Jamie. Uh, and you said I can call you Dini? Yes, you can call me Dini. Hi. Dini. Hi. Introduce yourself to everyone. Okay. Well, I'm Nandini. Um, you can call me Dini. And I am, uh, I'm co-founder of Sleeping Giants, the campaign dedicated to making bigotry and hate speech unprofitable. Uh, online and in the media. Yes. And it's so funny because I did not know that you were a part of that. There's the face of it, the gentleman, Mark or Mike or... Matt. Matt, yes. And I didn't know it was anybody else. So we definitely want to get into that because um, I there's a person in my community, in the Hashtag Coliseum community right now, who has realized that that work is what he's really good at. And he is like deplatforming so many racist, bigoty people. So I really want to talk about that because people talk, people need to understand that this work takes, needs a lot of, a lot of people doing a lot of different work and we don't, it doesn't have to look the same. We're just going in the same direction. So to answer, we always start with the same two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Um, Why is it important to cause a scene? I, I think that it's important to cause a scene because once you find something that is wrong in the world or in your work or your industry, it's your responsibility to fix it. It's just uh, as simple as that. It's, uh, you know, see something, say something. And in, in my case, I saw something and I realized that I was in a unique position to be able to to fix it or to start fixing it. Um, so I just did what I could do. And, and I've been doing that ever since. And I, I will add that that I, I have um, I have been working in tech for my entire career. Um, I've been a product marketer, a content marketer. Um, I was a head of growth um, for a while. And it was actually at my last job um, at a product management software company, a startup, where I was given a 3,000 pound budget to, uh, it was a British company, so 3,000 pound budget to, to run ads for the first time. And I had never done it. The company had never done it. I didn't have anyone to teach me anything about ads. So I just went into Google AdWords. Um, and you know, I'm a copywriter by trade. So I, I wrote my own um, ad copy. I wrote my own landing pages. And, um, and, then, I, and then I you know, created an audience and all that stuff. And then I turned on these ads. And when I looked to see what the results were, and when I looked to see where my ads were being placed, I was, I, you know, it was, was 3000 seemed to be a lot of money for me back then. So I was very careful about where this money was going um, and how it was being spent and where my ads were appearing. Um, and I saw that it was appearing on some, you know, weird sites that like normal people don't visit websites that are just not, it's just like, why would any human being visit that website? Um, and so I had an inkling that something was up with Google ads. 
but I was, I was a total novice. You know, I didn't know this world at all. Um, I only knew what other people were talking about on, uh, online and what people were, you know, sharing on, on Twitter and, you know, just the guides and stuff that I read online. Um, so I didn't say anything and I, you know, I, I saw something, but I didn't see anything, say anything. Um, but a couple months later, uh, the elections happened. And after the elections, um, I decided to visit this website that I'd been hearing so much about Breitbart.com. And I immediately, you know, I saw, I saw ads for like old Navy and like banana Republic and target and stuff. They're just retargeting me and my shopping. Right. And I immediately was like, <laughs> those guys don't know they're on there. Um, they're, they've turned on their Google ads and their Facebook ads, just like I did. And they're not watching, they're not watching to see where those ads went. Um, so that was an aha moment for me. And that was when I was like, I, I remember actually having this moment where I was, I was sitting exactly where I am right now. And I was <laughs> a couple of years ago and I was like, oh my God, I, I think I stumbled upon something really big. And, and you know what I did? I wrote a medium post. <laughs> I wrote a medium post. <laughs> that was oh, the only shit. thing I knew how to do. <laughs> um, so I, I wrote this post and it was called, um, PPC marketers, uh, you know, I forgot what it was titled, but like something like, don't, uh, don't ask for permission, mm -hmm. just blacklist Breitbart now. And I, I just wrote it all out. I was like, guys, I, I think I mm -hmm. figured it out. All we have to do is go into our backend and blacklist these ads. And, and it's important because the guy who runs this website is about to become, uh, you know, a, a strategic advisor, a senior advisor in the white house, Steve Bannon. And I was like, this is the only way we can stick it to them. Like we have, we have all the power. All we have to do is blacklist it. Um, like all of us together and, and don't ask for permission. Like don't wait to get permission. Why bother? Like no one's going to get mad at you for blacklisting this racist website. Um, just, just do it. <laughs> so I was trying to start a little interaction. And no one was, and, and as you said, no one was going to check anyway. So if you did it, no one was going to know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I like just sat there and waited for it to go viral. <laughs> I had, a, I had a couple, I had a couple influential friends push it out and, and I was like, all right, you guys, <laughs> like, let's do this. Uh, and it did not go viral. Like 20 people maybe saw one of them was, um, was Matt, Matt, Matt reached out to me. Um, at, at the time it was just a Twitter account called sleeping giants. It was like, Oh, cool article. Uh, you should come, you should come join us. We're doing the same thing. So this guy had already been, and he's on the other side of the country. Well, I was living in Germany back then, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, he was, he was on the other side of the country. He had, he had done the same thing. He'd went on this website. He'd seen, you know, he'd seen this issue and he'd already started taking these screenshots and, mm -hmm. uh, and notifying, advertisers, but not under his own name because, um, you know, he was worried for his safety, of course. So, so yeah. Um, and this was nuts. It happened all within the span of, uh, actually a day. It was less than a day. I just, I published it and he found me the next day. He'd started it the week before. So he only started his the week before. Yeah. So it was like perfect timing that that synergy of right place, right time. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. The timing was, was crazy. And turns out he's a copywriter as well. I'm a copywriter. Um, you know, we had, I think the same vision for, well, we didn't have a vision back then. Uh, at the time it was just, you know, like, let's just, let's just work on this every day. I think we both had the appetite to, um, take on this, this workload. Um, but it was also like this thing moved so quickly. I mean, 
so this so we met at the at the end of uh, n- November, and about two weeks later, we were making our first headlines uh, when we got our first sort of big win. It was um, Kellogg's. Mm-hmm. Kellogg's came out and said, "No, we did not intend to advertise on Breitbart. We will be." Um, blacklisting it. Plus, we're going to go back and audit all of our ads. Mm. So then Breitbart um, got really bad. And they uh, they launched a counter boycott called uh, boy- hashtag boycott Kellogg's. Um, and they started like, I don't know, they made all these crazy pop-ups. They were like, sign the petition. Kellogg's doesn't care about Breitbart readers or I don't know, something nuts. And and so, uh, and Breitbart was so powerful back then and, and anything they did would, mm-hmm. would garner press attention. So outlets started writing about them and, and, you know, we were part of that story. So that's how things started wow. to, to snowball. Wow. And see, that, 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 that speaks to, um, you and I were talking before we came online. It's about finding that thing that there's so much, <laughs> there's so much out here that we could be doing to, to stop normalizing hate and bigotry and oppression um, and racism and all these in all these things that everybody. I, the reason I do hashtag cause the scene is because I set my life up to say what the fuck I want and not have. Um, you can't take a job away from me. You can't. I still have consulting clients. I'm still so I can say things that people who are afraid to they might lose their job can't. I'm not. Please don't go do what I do. If your life, if your finances depend on it. Don't go do what I do because I recognize that I have sacrificed a lot of income to do this. Um, I have, I mean, this is cobbling together a business where I could have uh, um, more easily kept my mouth shut. Or well, that that wasn't going to happen, but kept kept my voice a little more quiet and gone into real um, doing business strategy with companies. I could have done that and be consulting and be making way shit more money than I am. But I took this hit. Well, I'm not even going to call it a hit. I took this path because I knew that other people couldn't. So I took this path so that other people wouldn't have to do this, that they could stand up in their whatever way they can need to stand up to, to advocate for themselves and people who are more vulnerable than, than themselves. And yet it's like everybody can do it. Like you, like you just explained, you had, you saw something, you were like, oh shit, this is wrong. You created a, something you thought was going to go viral. It didn't, but it connected you to who you needed to connect with to make something go viral. <laughs> yeah, perfectly said. Perfectly said. And um, and you're right. I mean, I think it's very brave what you've done as well, um, you know, going out on your own. The same goes for me. I mean, at the time I was working for a, a, a company full time, but I left um, after about a year and I've been freelancing on my own since then. And uh, it's been... <laughs> it's been pretty funny because like <laughs> almost everyone knows who we are in tech. Um, and I think that it's been like an intriguing, uh, it, it's been intriguing for them to, to, to talk to me. Um, but when it comes to, uh, I, I did for a while, actually earlier this year, I was, I was looking into, um, potentially getting back into full-time work and, uh, I, I think they were interested in talking to me, but I think they were also a little bit freaked out about hiring me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the same things that have made me uh, good at what I do are also a little bit of a liability. And I realize that I am a liability for a lot of companies because of, of the fact that I'm outspoken on, on uh, social media. But that's okay because there's, there's, uh, there's things that I'm good at that are monetizable. And of mm-hmm. course, people are, are definitely 
still interested in working with me on a consulting basis. Exactly. And that, and that's, it's, it's, it's the, the fact that we have this privilege, um, enables us to, cause I'm able to now go into companies cause I only talk to business leaders cause, and, and I don't want to, I, I don't keep the catalogs and all of this too big for me to grasp my hand on. Um, there are so many small to medium sized companies in tech that have having a, a huge impact on our community and I can directly get to the leadership who is controlling and guiding the, the, you know, the culture. If I can get my hands on them and have these conversations, I can move, we can scale this and I'm getting more and more of that. And so for me, it's, it's, first of all, it's funny how people think, like you just said, when you started, it was no strategy. When I started this, I wasn't a strategy. I was just pissed. I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm so pissed off. People just causing harm. Don't care. My friend and I were having a conversation. I just, I want to be disruptive in 2018. And we're like, yeah, cause a scene. I was like, oh my God, hashtag cause a scene. That's how that started. Love it. And so, but since, since then, because I'm a business strategist, I have a strategy now. It's, 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 a, I know exactly what I'm doing. To do this work without a strategy is, is as one of the hashtag call the scene core, um, guiding principles is intention without strategy is chaos, which causes harm. I love how people, and I wonder if you have the same thing, who, who don't understand that I'm a business strategist. So what I'm doing Twitter is just a place for me to amplify message, educate people who are trying to figure this out. But that's not where my business is. <laughs> um, and and, and then you, I get these individuals who, and I, I want to go back to the fact that you say you've been in t- tech for so long, because there are people who've been in tech for so long who don't have that social justice, as people call no. it, social justice. I don't even consider it. It's just it just makes common fucking sense to me. It's not, <laughs> it's not even social justice. It's how we should be doing businesses in a, in a knowledge economy who, who have these huge platforms and then try to take to having these opinions and they fuck it all up. Um, and it's, I, I, I really appreciate the fact that you said that you've been in tech your whole career because people want to make it seem like um, if you're not coding, you're not a value um, and your voice isn't heard. But the stuff that we're doing impacts the code, impacts how the products and services are used and who they're used by and all this other stuff. So I know I've said a lot, but it's just interesting to me how people just assume, because I'll get all the time when I say something, you get, I'll get these people like, is she even in tech? Who the fuck? What? <laughs> if all you can do is code, are you going to yeah. be in tech for long? You know, um, like- <laughs> no, those are all that all rings true to me. Um, I, I have, I have been lucky in my career so far to have worked with very conscientious startup folks. So I feel pretty lucky uh, on my end that they've always been really supportive of, of me and they've understood my value. So, um, I, again, like I started out just writing as a content marketer and then I started to move into more strategic roles. Um, I was also lucky by the way, to, um, have started working um, with a customer support help desk. And, and because I was the content marketer, my job was to learn about customer support and then write about it. People do. Oh, I tell if you're a developer and you have not spent time at the customer help desk, you don't know what your product is. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So I, I, I think that was the most valuable place to start, you know, my education in both in tech and, and learning about customer support. 
And then my next job was selling product management software. And a a lot of the work, I had to learn about how product management works so I could write about it and, and, you know, develop content that people find on SEO. And so, um, and a lot of people actually mistook me for a product manager. I could never actually do the job, but I can Mm -hmm. write about it and I can talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Those, both of those things really uh, were very valuable for me when I started to, to work on Sleeping Giants because I understood how things work uh, within, a, within a company, how things flow from the customer support side and social media um, crisis side up to uh, you know, the, the C-level and the product management level um, folks. So I was able to use that insight to, um, to, <laughs> to inform our, our little strategies. Yeah. And for me, it's, I, I tell people all the time, I would not be in this position if I had not, I, I hated being a high, a high school teacher. I hated it. But if I did not have that experience of being an educator and, and developing classroom management skills, I wouldn't be able to do I have such a varied eclectic background that is uniquely fits this space. Um, okay. And this, and, and it's, it's the, the, it's the, I consider us unicorns. It's the folks like us who have these very um, backgrounds that we're ever able to put this puzzle together that no one else understands. Cause like my family, they're like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, they, <laughs> <laughs> they don't get it. Like, <laughs> they don't get it, but they're like, hell you seem happy. So keep doing it kind of thing. And this is also goes back to when we talk about inclusion and diversity, people want to say I'm an inclusion and diversity specialist. I am not, I am a business strategy. We just can't get, anywhere because there is no inclusion and diversity in the space. So we have to deal with the kindergarten stuff first, but this speaks to that. This is why it's important to have diversity at the table because you're bringing all these different perspectives in who can help you make informed decisions about the things that we're doing. If everybody's coming from the same space, there's so many blind spots. There's so many things that we don't see that we don't even know that we don't even know. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. A hundred percent. I, um, I mean, that's the reason that I go after so many little things, seemingly little things. And I just, I hit it. I hit it for like months. Give me an example of what you're talking about. So, so this summer I was writing a presentation, a, a talk for, um, for Turing Fest, which is in Scotland. And, um, and one of the things, and it was about Sleeping Giants, of course. And one of the things um, I wanted to highlight was the way that payment processors um, are enabling hate groups and hate speech. And I was like, you know, I'm going to look for a fresh example. <laughs> so I Googled the KKK mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know, it was like kkk.com. I don't, I don't remember the, the URL anymore, um, but it was the official KKK website and they were uh, they were using PayPal to, to collect donations. <gasps> and, I, and, and, and But yet PayPal can't figure out a way to uh, enable trans individuals not to use their dead names anymore. Oh, don't even get me started. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. I have a history with PayPal. I've been, uh, I've been talking to them for a long time, for months, because I had been collecting various groups and, and, and asking them to, to take a look and review it. Um, now f- for the longest time, or no, uh, actually back, uh, back in 2016, after the Charlottesville, uh, rally, PayPal released a statement, um, that basically was, it was a statement on, on how they're remaining vigilant, uh, in the aftermath of Charlottesville. They said, we, uh, we just want to say that, you know, we're taking this really seriously and we, uh, we we will not be 
we're, we're remaining v- vigilant on intolerance, um, racial hatred, harassment, so on. Um, and they specifically called out groups like, you know, we will not be working. <laughs> we, we will not be working with groups like the KKK. So uh, two years later. <laughs> wow, um, you're working with groups like the KKK. <laughs> like the literal KKK. And so I, uh, you know, like, I think I've like lost all perspective on this stuff at this point because I'm just constantly tweeting stuff out. So I was like, oh, cool. Um, you know, PayPal's working with the KKK. And I just took a screenshot and I just, I like, I like moved on because <laughs> um, there's so many other groups and, um, and, a, and a Canadian group picked it up, um, a Twitter account picked it up and, um, and they asked their followers to, uh, to, to, to write into PayPal. And a week later, um, and I was, I was like, I had just given my talk, so I was really tired. And the next day, um, I have a BBC reporter asking me, uh, it, you know, in my DMs asking me for, for an interview about that. And, mm. Um, and I was like, wow, is that newsworthy? Oh, I guess it is. <laughs> I guess it is pretty newsworthy. Um, so it, it was, it was massively, um, embarrassing for PayPal. It, it was, it was a news item that did take off. Um, Fox news ended up writing about it. Um, side note, Fox news ended up writing about it. And in their original article, they, uh, you know how they have to put media on every blog. They put a video of, some segment, some previous segment about how tech companies are censoring conservative groups. So I call them out on that too. <laughs> oh, like the KKK is just a conservative group now. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, Intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. Apparently. Is that, is that what it is? <laughs> so so that happened. And by the way, Fox did update their media after that. I think it's just like, they're just, they didn't even think that through, you know, that mm-hmm. just, um, you know, what leftists did this to them and mm-hmm, I don't know, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. it's wild. But um, that turnaround was one week. Okay. Then, then there's another, there's another guy that I've been working on for a while, Steve, Stefan Molyneux. He's a white nationalist as well. And I, I had been, flagging him up with the um the the appropriate person at PayPal for like since April of 2019 and I'd been you know I was nice enough to include evidence and mm-hmm. a little dossier of of information about the kind of rhetoric that he uses the kind of you know what kind of business he's built and what he's um you know put the type of content he's putting online and um and they hadn't and I was following up every month or so and it was not until November that they banned him and I think it was um, at the point where, you know, I had been, I had, I try to use, I try to be nice about it. I, I don't want to like put them on blast on social media for no reason. But, you know, S- Stefan Molyneux was clearly emboldened. He was starting to share images of um, like people in the media and, and he had Jewish stars and all the Jewish people in, in the media. And it was like, it was just getting really, really bad it was getting really dangerous and that's, so. and that's what and this is what uh, this is what these platforms don't understand 
or they don't, and I'm not going to take that back. Mm-mm. It's not that they don't understand. It is, it's, in, it's not effective for the business model until, as I say, lack of inclusion is a risk management issue. Until it becomes a real risk management issue, they don't deal with it. Because what happens is, and this is why I have hard lines, period. Whiteness by design is racist and cannot be trusted by default without consistent anti-racist behavior. And it is, and I put whiteness as a construct of blackness as equal since we're a group. I'm not talking about individual white people. I'm talking about the, the, the system of white supremacy. And I do, I do that because it, if I give, again, classroom management, if I give that disruptive student one out, my whole fucking classroom is a mess. They will not only disrupt the classroom, but those individuals who are relying on me to keep them safe no longer feel safe. And I have to prioritize them. So no, I am not going to give um, whomever the, ad, the, the asshole of the day is the, the opportunity to, to vent, to do whatever they want to, because, oh, it's just, I did, you felt like it that day. No, 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 no. Got a hard line because your, your comfort is not important to me. And so this is what we get into with the Twitters and the Facebooks and, oh, all speech is equal. No, can we, have, we stop talking about fucking equality. It is not about equality. It's about equity. And it's about elevating the people's voices who have not had a voice. Whiteness has always had a voice. So it is not about equal. It is about if for every one voice of whiteness, I need 10 to 20 to 50 voices of people of color, people in marginalized communities, people with disabilities. To, to, to for that to even scale out to be something of equal value, and it still isn't. <laughs> yeah, and the and the fact that that hasn't that message hasn't really resonated with, um, you know, with tech leaders yet. They haven't been able to. They have not been able to figure out how to, to bring in diverse voices into their com- their their companies. Is playing out now with the work that I do because when I send them uh, a guy like Stefan and I say, please review this. I don't, I mean, I can't speak for what's going on internally, but I can, I, I will make the assumption that they don't have people of color or marginalized people at the table making those decisions. What I think happened, because all I have is two data points. Well, I have more than that, actually. I've been, I've been working on PayPal for a while. Um, is that the KKK was gone within the, within the week and Stephen Molyneux was... Uh, was a seven-month investigation. And why is that? I know that for a fact they had on their um, on their Charlottesville statement, they specifically called out the KKK. But what do they do with a guy who calls himself a philosopher mm-hmm. and couches all of his racist, um, his racist ideology and euphemism? Mm-hmm. And in debate? And in debate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Are we infringing on this man's freedom of speech. Yes. They don't know how, they have no fucking clue how to handle it. And this is how it's slipping. That's that, that's that inch that they take and they turn it into a yard. That's where that, cause the KKK is, has a definite hood thing. And this is one thing that I often do on my timeline and people see it. I will say, tweet something and say, this is what white supremacy looks like because it's not all swastikas. It's not all um, white hoods. It is all these little systems and things that are in place that make people think, oh, it's the failure of the individual when in fact, no, it's a failure of a system. Exactly. Yeah. And if, and you're right. If no one's at the table challenging that for them, they don't see it. Then it becomes, oh, I need all these 3000 data points 
to prove when you and I can walk in and say, oh shit, that's hate speech right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's infuriating. And three years ago, when we, when I first became aware of this problem, I had a little patience. I wouldn't say that I was angry at that time, but now we've been working on this for three years. And as we mentioned before, this does come at a personal cost. It comes at a financial cost. I, you know, when I started my freelance business, I was running two things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at this point, you know, as of right now, just a couple months ago, I publicly announced that I'm not copywriting anymore um, for a client so I can work on this issue full time because I've realized that after three years, we have made absolutely no dent on this issue at all. And what's happening instead is that these companies are relying on our free labor to flag this up for them. Yes. And they're not doing And do nothing else. And do nothing else. They're like, oh, check them, check that button. It's the same thing as, oh, we brought black and disabled individuals. They just don't stay. Huh. I don't know why. Because you didn't do shit to change the culture. You did absolutely nothing. You expected them to come in and be nothing happens. We are okay. See, this is what I tell people. We are no longer in an industrial age. We keep acting as if we're making widgets. Where you brought someone in, it didn't matter what damn background they had, because you're going to give them a manual. They're going to read the manual because every widget needs to look like everybody else's widget because it needs to fit in these certain things. We are in an information knowledge economy where you need to get out of my head what I know, and it, and that is what helps you differentiate and innovate and be competitive in the in this the 21st century. I'm not creating widgets, and if I don't feel safe. I'm not. I'm gonna sit there. I'm gonna say you. This building could be burning the fuck down, and I'm not gonna say a word because you didn't create safety for me. And then you want to say, well, well, they, well, they they left exactly. They knew the building was about to burn, and they they left. And you and then you wake up one two weeks later. They're gone. It's like why is the company not running? Oh, um, Sharon left. Did you not realize that Sharon left? Yeah. <laughs> No, that's, that's a really good, I think that's a really good metaphor. Um, we've all seen it over the past year or so, right? Especially with these, um, these, these employees that are speaking up at GitHub and Chef and Google, um, mm-hmm. Google Wayfair. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are really, really amazing examples. And I think what's, um, what's really um, necessary now is that we create a, a set or some kind of a, a, a standard for these employees or some kind of a, a way to, to make them, uh, to, to give them the leverage to go to their management and say, this is not good for our business. It's not good for our business to be advertising on Tucker Carlson um, or, or the Daily Caller. It's not good for our business, you know, to end up on, you know, racist websites, even if it doesn't really fit your, you know. And, and see, the thing is, again, going back to that metaphor of the, or the analogy of the industrial age, that shit worked. See, this is also where the mindset hasn't changed. That shit worked back when the local hardware store only had to cater to people in the community. You could all be KKK. You could all be whatever because no one gave a shit. That was the corner hardware store. We are creating products and services that have a global impact. We can no longer do that because the, the racist global um, hardware store owner is causing a problem in South, Central America. Yeah. It's causing problems. <laughs> you know, you can, we can't do that anymore. I, uh, you know, it's so funny you say that because right before um, I got on this call with you, I was, um, I've been tweeting furiously at Stripe, the payment processor, for mm-hmm. almost a year. And, um, and one thing that just really, really, um, pisses me off is, 
Stripe holds holds like actual real life events and they have a code of conduct at these events. They say, you know, you can't, you're not allowed to harass, bully, intimidate people um, just in general, but of course on, on the basis of their, their race, their religion, identity, whatever. And so today I was asking Stripe, I said, okay, so what about your, um, what about your customer, uh, the neo-Nazi group, the third path, which is a, you know, a, a, an active Nazi group in Germany. Are they allowed to come to your event? Or are they not allowed to come to your event, but they're only allowed mm-hmm. to be your customer as long as they're mm-hmm. 5,000 miles away. So they're allowed to make the community unsafe around where they live, but mm-hmm. you're not going to let them into your, into your doors, into your, under your roof. And you're asking those questions that is stumping the hell out of them because they've never had to have anyone asking those questions for, of them before. Yeah, because they're willing, they're willing to outsource that externality, right? <laughs> they're willing to let anyone yes nobody else matters it's the same thing with um when you see with facebook and their content management they are those those people aren't employees of facebook but the ptsd and the trauma these individuals are experiencing having to look at that shit every day all day long is detrimental to their mental health their family's health their community's health but yeah we're going to outsource that out to somebody and so they don't get the benefits they don't get any of the stuff that facebook regular employees will get it's, it's strategic risk management. That's what it is. So what you just mentioned with Stripe and what I just said about, um, they've thought about this shit because if they hadn't, these would be employees. If they hadn't, these would be individuals they would not put on their, their platforms. But they've strategically said, I, we are personally responsible for this. If we outsource that, we're not directly responsible for that. And what we need to exp- them to understand, yes, you are. <laughs> I mean, I think it's just a matter of of shining some light on it. Mm-hmm, yeah, um, actually, because I, I don't think mo- I don't think many of the com- in, in the community understands how this shit is doing, how they're passing it off to other people. No, I mean, I think Facebook employees are now starting to become aware. I think Stripe employees have no idea. I mean, Stripe has has um, I think uh, I think they invest quite a lot in their diversity and inclusion initiatives. Um, and I, I think they, I think, I think they're doing what they can, you know, I don't know how well it's going to make their, um, company, you know, feel like an inviting, welcoming place for, for marginalized people. Um, I don't think those people are aware. Yeah. And again, they, uh, fine. If you want to talk about, you know, uh, free speech or even, you know, terms of service, acceptable use policies, um, Stripe's acceptable use policy, um, is one of the most ridiculous things I've seen. If you want to use Stripe and you're a psychic, you can't. You can't use Stripe if you're a psychic. They don't work with psychic services. Um, that's a specific thing in their terms of service. But if you are an anti-Semite and you have a podcast to be anti-Semitic, to distribute hate speech, you can do it. Because Stripe's acceptable use policy only kicks in when you start calling for violence. So what's with the psychics? <laughs> so I think the psychics comes from, I think the psychics comes from uh, chargebacks, like high chargeback rates. Ah, uh, gotcha, <laughs> so, gotcha. Yeah. You told me some shit, this shit wasn't true, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I want to refund me. Exactly. Okay, so, so it's for them, it's only with, so they can talk about violence, they can, but as long as okay, well, hold on. So they can talk about violence, but 
unless they being the customer of Stripe actively participates in violence. Yeah. Not the fact that they incite violence. Inciting violence is, the is line. a problem. So you can say all sorts of horrible things and just wow. stop short of saying, but you should, you know, you should be killed. But the people who are listening to all of that up until that line are actively going yeah. out and committing yeah. violence. I mean, all you have to do is put a little disclaimer that says we do not condone violence. I'm pretty sure the KKK has that too. We do <laughs> not condone violence. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's all you got to do. And, or, or, or satire, pretend, you know, it was just a joke. We didn't. Oh, we hear that a lot lately. Haven't we? Yeah. Everything's yeah. so I mean, fucking funny. In the book. <laughs> and, and I think that like, that, that's so simple to you and me, to anyone with any common sense, but for tech companies, because they're looking for some kind of a global system. Uh, and there was an article on this, I think in the verge, that talked about Facebook's attempt to create a global set of standards on what hate speech is, on what harassment is, um, on what is allowed to be said and not said, um, that, that it's, it's actively hindering their efforts to, to act quickly on actual hate speech because they want to apply that one standard. You can't apply that same standard from the United States. Globally. Exactly. Yes. Um, and that speaks to their, this new committee, this new board that they're creating as well, um, that they're trying to find this perfect um, equation of having marginalized people. But who's, who do we get? Da, 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 da. How many do we have? <laughs> I'm just like, oh my God. But this comes from a place of, and people, people think I, I am being um, conspiratorial. But this all comes back to white supremacy because white supremacy is never investigated, never evaluated. So it, for it, it is a, 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 um, a one plus two equal, um, one plus one equals two equation. For us, we know that one plus one, depending on who the fuck is saying it, could be anything because there is no black and white. This is not binary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And when it comes to misinformation, I think it's even more dangerous. Um, and that's because misinformation is designed to make people angry or disinformation, I should say. Yes. Misinformation mm -hmm. is not always on purpose. Yes. Um, but dis disinformation is designed to make pe people feel um, to, to feel angry and to feel emotional. And the people who bear the brunt of this, the target or not the target, but the source of this disinformation is usually about marginalized people. I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable, is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, 
Please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. about marginalized people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I mean, when you see the kind of headlines that they put on Breitbart, it was, it was designed to harm us. Exactly. So, and so it's, and so, oh, you're just getting to it. So it's like Breitbart has a strategy for, they know exactly why can't the fuck these other people figure out this. They, and this is one of the reasons I, in 2020, um, we are, I have my team working on building um, hashtag cause a scene alliance, which is the anti-racist tech agenda, because we need to get offline. We need to have a safe space where we can, can come together to have conversations without being interrupted by assholes and create strategy because this other side has had years. To, this is why when you have these hate, you, just like you said, they'll, they go to the tried and truths. I was just joking. Not all white people. I mean, this is where no matter where they are in the world, they say the same shit. It's like they have the same book that they're reading out of. We need the same thing. We need, we're, we're behind them. We're, we're behind the curve. But it's, it's, it's going to require us to fundamentally get in a space where we're having these conversations, being willing to, to get uncomfortable, being willing to prioritize the most vulnerable and listen to their lives, uh, lived experiences and create strategies that, that counter this stuff. Right now, everybody's like just going off. It's like, it's, it's, it's like buckshot. It's just going everywhere. We need a lasered approach. And then I, for me, I believe that's when you can hit strike because it's just you and Matt. If we had a group of a thousand people sending the same shit to Stripe and saying, hey, if you don't change this within 24 hours or whatever, we're making this public. Yeah. We need a community effort to, to make, because again, right now they're doing the risk management equation on, hmm, based on legal, can we, if we, if something happens, can we make a payout with that? Be? I mean, they're doing some whole bunch of equations about this. They, they're not innocent in this. So it's like, if something happens and we have a mis- do we have a risk management plan in place? Okay, so what is step one? Okay, and we, we make an apology. Okay, now if it escalates to this, this is how much money we want, we, we're willing to pay for this. And then, and then they walk away and it happens over. And, and we see this with Facebook every single time. They do something, he, said, he goes, so he says something, it's bullshit, they walk away. Yeah, exactly. They pay some money, they walk away. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been tough to find that leverage because with PayPal, it was um, with PayPal. I had this public statement that they made saying, you know, we will we will act. We're actively working to stamp this stuff out. So I ha- I could just point to that statement mm-hmm, and say, mm-hmm. okay, do something right away, please. Um, with Stripe, they don't have that, and they haven't been put in a place where they're pressured to change their acceptable use policy. And it's, and you know what? And that's fine for me because what, with, with, with the community and with leverage, you know what? You can, you can continue to house them, but you're going to make a public statement that you're okay with that. See, that's how they get in that. That's how they, they, they jump in the line. They get to hide behind these things and not make anything public. So they really don't have to, 
you can have whatever customers you want. This is your business. But as another customer, I can make a decision that I don't want to work with you because of the people you're working with. And this is where the information asymmetry comes in because we as customers don't realize that that's their customer. Yeah. And I would rather not give my percentage of whatever I'm you to you for supporting that. Same. I mean, I <laughs> I moved to checks. Yeah, it's it's and bank transfers. Yeah. Oh wow. Wow. I mean, it's I I I can't even. I mean, the 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 depths of this is this issue is is unbelievable. I mean, if you if you take the two examples we've been talking about, Facebook and Stripe. Did you know that Stripe is Facebook's um, payment processor? It's it's integrated into all their payments. So um, I think it was earlier this year that uh, a, 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 someone tipped us off and said that the United Constitutional Patriots, the vigilante group, they had been so they had been kicked off of PayPal. Um, they had been kicked off of Cash App, and they had started to fundraise on Facebook mm-hmm. using um, Facebook fundraisers. So, and they said that they were going camping and they needed some money for supplies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I did the same thing that I, I tend to do um, when I first, when I, you know, like as a first attempt, I reached out privately to uh, the appropriate person at Facebook and, and emailed her and asked her to, to look into this. Mm-hmm. She, she got back to me super quickly and said, I'm, I'm looking into it. Thank you so much. And within like an hour or two, the the fundraiser was taken down. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, when the tipster had gone through regular channels, it hadn't been taken down. Exactly. So exactly. But what happened next was a couple hours later that evening, um, the same person got back to the same tipster got back to us and said, uh, "Yeah, the guy has has uh, has started a new fundraiser on the page. He's also started a fundraiser on his personal Facebook." profile. So whatever she did earlier that she day, just pulled the plug on. She just, she, she, no, exactly. That's the whole thing. They don't fix the problem. They pull the plug on this one thing and just let everything else. And, and it's the, it's again, the risk management. She's complaining about this thing. Does she, she doesn't know about this other thing. Maybe we don't even know about this other thing, but it's not, they don't put flags uh, on this account that if this person does something, this is immediate needs, needs to be escalated to see what this person is doing. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Like, I, I couldn't even believe it. So I, I did up the risk for her. Um, we published her, her email address on Facebook and we had our entire community write to her. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that we do um, that I think is different from other groups is um, I feel very comfortable contacting the VP of marketing to ask them about their, um, their ad buy or their you know, TV ad buy, whether it's you know, TV or online. Um, I feel comfortable going to to the individual that's responsible because I want them to know their name is on this. I also want them to know that they they are um, they are empowered to 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 do something. They're mm-hmm. in a much better position to change um, or to address the issue than we are on the outside. So uh, so it's it's it is a little bit risky, yeah. and I don't yeah. I don't like to to publish people's email addresses for no reason. Um, and, and one thing that we do from our side is we encourage our, I mean, we absolutely encourage our community to be polite, but assertive, mm-hmm. ask for what you mm-hmm. want, ask for what we want. Um, and don't be rude to the person. It is, it is kind of, I think we're contributing to an awakening among employees themselves to say, wow, I hadn't thought about this, this, you mm-hmm. know, this, what, yeah. what I, you know, never entered my consciousness. 
Um, or maybe I thought it was an edge issue, but it's actually a massive problem. Oh my God, don't talk about edge, edge cases. I'm so <laughs> sick of people saying edge cases. It's like it's an edge because you're not in the fucking community. Yeah. <laughs> it's not edge to us. It is It is the case. Um, I wanted to, before we run out of time, I wanted you to talk about this, um, this tweet you did on December 14th about the CEO of Patreon. Yeah, sure. So back in 2017, um, the CEO of Patreon banned a white nationalist named Lauren Southern with her organization called Defend Europe from using Patreon services. She had, they had rented a boat and they uh, were using it to block actual NGO rescue ships from rescuing uh, refugees, you know, on, on the waters. And what Jack did at the time was he banned her. And I think that that would have just been that if, if it wasn't for Lauren Southern, her, her team being super loud and obnoxious and probably harassed him endlessly. So, um, so what he did was he published a video where he explained exactly what um, his, his review method was, exactly what his process was that made him decide to... Um, to ban her. So he introduced this, this idea, this concept called manifest observable behavior. Um, and manifest observable behavior is a review method that is based entirely on um, what a, a video or an audio has recorded or um, statements that they have written or made to the press. So anything that you can see, tangible things. And he said, well, I... Uh, I reviewed Lauren's own evidence. She had, you, you know, videotaped the whole thing, recorded the whole thing and put it up on YouTube. And, you know, Lauren says that she was just there as a journalist. She was just there to record the experience, apparently. But I can see on video that she was on the boat. She was directing the boat operator to get in front of the ship. Um, she stated a clear intention um, on, you know, on selfie mode saying, I intend to block, uh, block these rescue attempts. And not only that, but she came back and she started fundraising to buy a boat and they successfully fundraised. She made statements to the press saying, um, you know, if the politicians won't stop the refugees, we will, our boat will do it. Um, that's what we're buying the boat for. So um, he said, well, based on this overwhelming evidence, I can uh, pretty confidently say that this is against our uh, the section of our policy where uh, uh, that prevents us from working from from you with users that are causing loss of life or intend to to cause uh, harm or loss of life. And uh, so, I mean, what, what I what I liked about his approach was that. I think a lot of tech CEOs, you know, they don't want to get into emotions or ethics or morals or feelings or any of that stuff. So while what I described to you is a really disgusting thing to do, right? What she was doing was she was going to kill refugees, basically, or have them killed on the waters um, by preventing these uh, these rescues. What Jack did was use he kind of took the emotion out of it. He had, he just used his, um, his acceptable use policy and just pointed to that and said, you know, this is against our policy. Um, and I think that was, uh, I think that, that to me was an aha moment. Um, so I, I don't know why when he published this video in 2017, he got no attention for it. Um, but I, I kept thinking about it over the years. And I don't know, this just this weekend, I decided to write about it. 
because I think it's the most advanced we have so far, the most advanced technique or method or thinking in the tech industry about how to moderate, um, you know, moderate bad behavior and bad content. So where I think a lot of tech CEOs get tripped up is in this like feeling, emotion, ethical, um, gray area. What what uh, what Jack did was he took that gray area out. He had a black and white list of things that are acceptable on the platform and what isn't acceptable on the platform. Uh, and so he no longer has to worry about making an emotional, uh, turning this into an emotional decision or an, uh, um, a decision based on people's feelings. He can just say, you know, that that's just not allowed on our platform. And I, and I like that approach because it's it's called it's basically mixed methods. He used quantitative plus that was qualitative data, her stuff that he was able to make. a. So it, 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 although it, it was not, quote, as you say, emotional, the fact that he used her lived experience as evidence of how he made his decision is perfect mixed methods. It's perfect of how a way to do this. You use their own words and actions against them. You I mean, it, they're there. They're not. They have no problem with publicizing this shit. Um, and it goes back to when you're saying that it took, um, PayPal seven months to get this individual off. Had they used, what's the name of the approach again? Manifest, manifest observable behavior. Yes. Had they done that? Uh, if you make that a blanket across everything that make that kind of, eh, kind of take some of that eh, out of it. Yeah. <laughs> they could have done, they could have done that the same thing with the Ku Klux Klan. They have a history of that manifest, you know, that observable behavior. But with this, Stephen, I think his name is that you mentioned, um, had they used the same um, litmus test, he wouldn't have been on there for seven months. Exactly. It's coded into their culture. It's coded into their policy. And it's not just um, words like harassment and bullying, but like a specific understanding of what that is, a specific definition, because you don't want to get into a place. I understand this. If you're a tech CEO, once you, once you make the decision to ban or prevent someone from using your services, it's kind of like writing a law. So what he's done is he's made it possible for his trust and safety team to operate and make these decisions without him having to jump in every time this happens. And I think that's what must have happened internally at PayPal. There was no way for them to make this this decision. There was no way for them to evaluate this and say, I feel confident to ban this individual from using our services. And I can't think of the law right now, and it's slipping me, and I'll have to look it up again. But the, um, it's interesting how you how you preface it that by doing this, they will make it, quote unquote, a law, because they're operating on a law from the federal government that does not hold them accountable for information that is posted on their platforms. So that's the loophole they're getting out of. They're taking full advantage of the benefit of being exempt from... Um, from people, um, from the content that people post on their thing, but yet they don't want, they, so why afford us the, why afford us that safety? You know, whoa, who are these people? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, 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 it's just one way of thinking about content moderation. And I'm sorry to say that I haven't seen anything as thoughtful from anybody else in, in the tech world. Mm -hmm. this, this, this is something that everyone is grappling with in the industry, but no one has taken the time to come up with an answer for. Um, Patreon, I don't think is perfect. I don't think they, uh, I think there's a lot of other issues with the company that I've, that I've, you know, heard about over the years, but 
um, they're one step closer to figuring this out than than everybody else. Um, and that's yeah. it, and that's what I was about to say. It's at this point, it's not. That's what people tell people. We're all gonna fuck this up. We're trying to create a trying to create an experience that was never meant to exist. None of us know what we're doing, but we have to take steps in in the, to move forward, make mistakes, evaluate those mistakes, learn from a mistake, and move forward again. Um, and that's why I found um, that that um, that thread that you wrote so enlightening because I had not heard of a uh, that had something. I was like, oh, somebody has some shit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, isn't that incredible? Yeah, I don't. It's know. new to me. And then the fact that you said it's two years old, it's like what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that like back in 2017, we were just. I mean, we were just so busy. I think one thing that we could do better, I think, is uh, is give you know praise people a little bit more when when they do something right. Yeah. Um, so we've just kind of, we missed the boat on that one back in 2017. Well, you're, you're not the only one. Cause I have never heard of this. Um, but I can tell you in the U S 2017 was right after the election. So people were just like, Oh shit. Yeah. It was definitely a really, really we were dealing with some other stuff. <laughs> yeah. We're dealing with some other stuff. All right. What would you like to say in your final moments on the show? What can I say? Um, I, I hope that that I mean, from everything that I've learned this year, I think that next year is going to be a, a bombshell year. I, I agree. Think. I agree. I believe we're at a tipping point. Yeah, it is a tipping point. Um, I think companies are still grasping um, their role in in misinformation, either accidentally funding it or on the other side, accidentally enabling it. And uh, I mean, I know that from from the work that I've been doing now that I'm doing it full time. I've, I've been connected with um, a lot of really great, smart people who are thinking about this issue in a lot of different ways. And um, now that we're sort of, you know, have formed a loose coalition, I think that we're going to be really successful in bringing this issue to the forefront um, in the next year. And it's going to be really important that we act fast, um, that we, you know, put a, a shit ton of pressure on everybody involved um, because, it's an election year and mm-hmm. we can't afford to, to lose our democracy again to misinformation and hate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, if you have any capacity to, to help um, you can, you can help just by just, just the simple retweet or just by sharing it in your LinkedIn community or your, your Facebook community, wherever your professional uh, you know friends are. Yeah. I tell people there's always a space for all of us, if not, particularly in privileged people. I need you guys to shut the fuck up and amplify the people who are doing the work. Yeah. A simple share can do so much. And all caps, pay us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would love to be paid. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. I just knew that this would be uh, a great conversation, an informative conversation to have to start the beginning of the year. So thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much for having me. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.